Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's CW, and this week on the Midtown Business Radio Show, we started the first of a monthly series that we're going to be doing with the folks from IRC Wealth. If you're not familiar with them, they provide outsourced CFO services to the business community, helping those business owners make sure that their financial plan and how they're executing that is in line with the end game, whether that's to sell the business someday or perhaps be able to transition it to family ownership down the line. They can certainly help you do that. They also work with individuals who want to be able to retire someday. They've got a very easy to follow roadmap that they provide helping them step by step be able to craft a strategic financial plan that's going to help them achieve their ultimate goals. Joe Shum, the vice president of business development, stopped by the studio and he introduced us to a number of entrepreneurs from the Atlanta area who also have been clients of IRC Wealth over the years. He introduced us to Jody Hirsch who started Orange Star Design over 20 years ago. She's been working with small businesses to Fortune 500 companies, indie musicians, and even a few rock stars, helping them design logos, print materials, building size graphics, helping them design websites and mobile apps, you name it. She also works with her clients on their social media presence as well. I am my brand. I don't have employees. I'm a one-person shop. Nobody else is me. And that doesn't mean that I'm so fantastically awesome. It just means that I bring a unique set of skills, ideas, experience, you know, to every project and every client. And I just celebrated 22 years in business. I really <laughs> enjoy it. And I, you know, I think that comes through in my work and the relationships with my clients. We also met Candace Alger, who started Giant Studios a number of years ago. They used innovative technology to be able to capture live action and transfer that onto animated characters. They've worked on some projects that are hugely popular, like the Avatar series, for example, with James Cameron and their crew, as well as with video game production companies, having a hand in helping to develop the hugely popular Call of Duty series, among other titles. We started Giant Studios back in 1999, and we leveraged some proprietary software that had only been used previously in military and medical training, and we incorporated it into a production pipeline for entertainment applications. And so we built out a pipeline to enable us to capture live performances and then to map those performances onto animated characters in real time. It was a brand new methodology of working in the film and the video game industry, and so it was really challenging at first to try and get some traction, but once we were able to land our, our first big contract, then the door started to open and we continued developing the technology over the years and surrounded that pipeline with some really brilliant engineers and artists and ended up garnering a reputation actually throughout the industry as one of the leading providers. We also met Sarah Huey Coleman. She founded Huey Design, and with public and private retail, mixed-use, campus, sports, transit experience, Huey Design specializes in creating uniquely branded environments with innovative, flexible, and functional wayfinding master plans, forward-thinking design guidelines. They work with large development companies and municipalities, helping them to create beautiful environments across a wide spectrum of environmental graphic design projects. What makes us different, I think, is that I've really built a team of senior talent, experienced people. We have quite a number of experienced people that can design 
project manage, deal with clients, and develop relationships. So we do have junior designers and they're very dedicated in learning the field and growing with the company. So I think it's really our business relationships. We have a lot of long-term relationships. It's all about building that with a client. We have so much repeat business and referral that I, I haven't really marketed much. It's been a wonderful experience to maintain those long-term relationships. Stick around. We got the full interview with Joe Shum, Sarah Huey Coleman, Jody Hirsch, and Candace Alger coming up next. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on the Midtown Business Radio Show. Thanks for making us a part of your day again today. I'm very pleased to have in studio someone that joined us on the show about, I don't know, two months ago, three months ago? Yeah, maybe about that. Our friend Joe Shum, he's the vice president of development over at IRC Wealth. Got to meet Joe and his colleague, Dave Ragland. He uh, came on to talk about their services that they provide and really enjoyed them. And so we're, we're pleased to have you back. And you brought a host of folks with you today that we're going to get to talk to. It's a church van full of people That's here right. today. So uh, we're pretty excited about that. Um, <laughs> you want to introduce us to everybody real fast? Yeah, it'd be great. We have with us today three folks that sort of represent two things for us. One, that they're all extremely successful professional entrepreneurs and women. And and also that they are clients of ours in some form or fashion. And so we have some intimate knowledge of how well they've done with their quests for successful business. And so I'll just kind of go around the room here and let everybody know who we have. On my right, I have Candace Alger, and she is the president and CEO of uh, Giant Studios, which is a virtual studio, uh, vir- virtual Production. Virtual production company and studio. Uh, we also have Jody Hirsch from Orange Star, and that is a design, uh, social media, web design business. Anything, That's right. anything to add to that? And plus, I work with Jody uh, almost daily, so you think I would be able to rattle that off uh, pretty quickly. And uh, and finally, Sarah Huey from Huey Design which is a design company. Um, and you guys do a lot of cool things over there, Sarah. Uh, you know, sort of like I've seen some of the things on your website and so mm-hmm. on. It's a little different from when people say design. Yeah, it's uh, environmental graphic design, yeah. which is signage and wayfinding. So we really help people navigate buildings and spaces so in a place like atlantic station where you can kind of wander around and try to find your way that's that's where your expertise lies is to help people have a better experiential sort of journey through a place yes exactly now when i was looking at your website i was curious when you say wayfinding design does that mean then that i can say turn left at the big statue of the atlas man with the world on his shoulder something like that um, we actually designed directional signage, okay. and included in that is graphic design. We might do murals or big giant graphics or icons that have directories that okay. help you. So it literally is telling me where to go for this and that, and it looks beautiful at the same time. Yes, okay. exactly. Yeah, it's curious really, about that. It's a different segment, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 So, and I was on a run this morning trying to get all fired up here to make sure that I could keep up with the, these three folks. And it was really interesting to note that all three of them are in the creative part of life, the creative business world. And uh, then when I spoke with Jody briefly this morning, she had mentioned it as well. And I just find that to be 
uh, it was not a plan. It just happened to be that each of these people represents some really cool successes and the fact that they all live in the creative market space is neat. And I wanted to bring that out. And so I guess I'll start with Jody. Um, Excellent. Yeah. And I, I'm doing that on purpose, CW. Yeah, yeah. That's right. So uh, to pick on her a little bit, but um, <laughs> since we talked so much to each other, but, you know, one of the things that um, is remarkable is that is the amount of time you have been working as the chief at Orange Star. And, you know, I've read some of the things you've said. I know th some of the things that you do, but. What makes you different that you've been able to maintain that kind of longevity over what I consider to be a competitive marketplace? You know, I think a lot of it has to do with over-delivering as much as I possibly can and turning my clients into fans so that they become referral machines for me. But also, I find it really exciting, the changes in the industries. I don't know about you guys, but in, the, in graphic design and web design, I mean, every day there's something different <laughs> going yeah. on. And by keeping abreast of all that stuff, I mean, there's no end to the things that I can do for my clients. So I really try to become a partner rather than a vendor. And I mean, there's just no end to the work that's available out there. And I don't really try to compete. I just try to do a really good job for everybody. Um, but what makes me different? And I mean, the thing that I was talking to Joe about earlier was that I am my brand. I don't have employees. I'm a one person shop. Nobody else is me. And that doesn't mean that I'm so fantastically awesome. It just means that I bring a unique set of skills, ideas, experience, you know, to every project and every client. And I just celebrated 22 years in business. I really <laughs> enjoy it. And, I, you know, I think that comes through in my work and the relationships with my clients. It does. And it's not your parents' basement. So it's your no, own it basement. No, it is my own so, basement that yeah. I paid for. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, obviously, obviously, it's very successful and a very unique way of doing it. Well, it is. And it's a choice. I mean, I... I've looked at offices. I mean, everybody has an ego, and I'd like to have a big orange star, you know, out there somewhere. But, I mean, the lifestyle of being able to work from home, have my dogs, you know, not have my life completely separate from the work that I'm passionate about, I just thought it was important for me to have workspace that is somewhat separate from my, um, from my living space so that I can get away from it. So I've always kept a separate office in the house. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks. Um, I'm going to move right uh, right next to you to Sarah because we kind of started talking about what she does and it is unique. And so um, in its uniqueness, you have stood out in that slice of the market. Tell us about that, how, that's, how that emerged for you because you have a history of working for some very iconic um, design firms here in, in town and then you, you emerged and kind of went out on your own and found your place. My whole name is Sarah Huey Coleman. I got married after I started the business, so it's still called Huey Design, but I use that so everybody knows. I think for environmental graphic designers, it's a relatively small field, and you can't go and get an education in environmental graphic design, signage, and wayfinding. You might come across a class and a program, but typically people enter into the field through architecture, industrial design, graphic design, they learn on the job, which is interesting. That's different from most careers. What makes us different, I think, is that I've really built a team of senior talent, experienced people. We have quite a number of experienced people that can design, project manage, deal with clients, and develop relationships. So we do have junior designers, and they're very dedicated in learning 
the field and growing with the company. So I think it's really our business relationships. We have a lot of long-term relationships. I liked what Jody was saying about, it's all about building that with a client. We have so much repeat business and referral that I, I haven't really marketed much. It's been a wonderful experience to maintain those long-term relationships. And that's that's amazing because again, you know, people look at just a sort of a, a a brand name of Huey Design, and it could be anything, right? So the fact that you're able to establish long-term relationships, not to have to do an excessive amount of marketing around, you know, someone would say, oh, I don't, what do they do, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and to be able to maintain that longevity is awesome. Yeah, very it's exciting. Great. I liked what Jody said as well about being able to deliver if mm-hmm. if you didn't deliver a great um, project um, designs that function and work and that people enjoy looking at because everything we de- we design gets built um, then we wouldn't have clients coming back so it's all about doing a great job for your client and developing those kinds of relationships where they want to work with you again how challenging was it to put together a team that you seem very proud of challenging (laughs) there's not a like i said that people can't go to school for this they kind of fall into it so Mm -hmm. it's definitely difficult to find individuals with talent and the skills and the experience to do what we do Um, so i think of environmental graphic design as different and unique as a whole field Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's been hard it's been a a long time coming so well that's awesome congratulations on that too because one of the things that i always hear from uh from business owners uh, is that it's just when you get the team right and you wish you could just bottle it up and someone goes one way or someone goes the other way and then you're you're moving on or trying to find that next person to fit and so what what's happened for Huey Design is that a number of people have gone off, but they've come back. Really? And right now it's just that perfect, excellent place where we have people that know how to work with us and know our standards and quality and and processes. And they're all, they two at least two or three of them have actually come back after they've been somewhere else. So We call those really boomerangs. Great. Boomerang. Yeah. So I've yeah. got a few boomerangs. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> That's cool. Thanks. Um, Candace Alger, uh, your, uh, your um, life's a little different. You have uh, a corporation that you sit at, at the top of as CEO and president. And you and I were uh, sharing some information that, you know, you have shareholders and sort of some extra eyes looking in on you above and beyond the immediate management that you control. And so my, my take take a moment to tell us a little bit about Giant Studios and what it's been like for you and uh, and how you got there. We started Giant Studios back in 1999, and we leveraged some proprietary software that had only been used previously in military and medical training, and we incorporated it into a production pipeline for entertainment applications. And so we built out a pipeline to enable us to capture live performances and then to map those performances onto animated 
characters in real time. It was a brand new methodology of working in the film and the video game industry. And so it was really challenging at first to try and get some traction. But once we were able to land our, our first big contract, then the door started to open and we continued developing the technology over the years and surrounded that pipeline with some really brilliant engineers and artists and ended up garnering a reputation actually throughout the industry as one of the leading providers. And and, it, and and the challenges that I see being someone who grew up in the technology industry for a long time is that you're straddling two very competitive industries. You're you're a technology company and all the challenges that that brings. You mentioned words like engineers and mm-hmm. and so on and, and, and obviously the software and, and all the ancillary uh, hardware that might drive that. And then on top of that, the real easy business of f- the film industry, which is, I'm sure, just a cakewalk. So, uh, There's no discussion. <laughs> <laughs> so you really have had quite a ride. It has been quite interesting. Sometimes I refer to it as a bar fight. Um, (laughs) But yeah, there is a fair amount of dysfunction in Hollywood um, and in the video game sector as well. But it's changing over time. It's been 16 years and I've I've started to um, see some real positive changes. There are a lot of women in management now at the studios and at the production companies and the VFX houses. Not to say that there still isn't some inequality, but... Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's coming around, and I, and I feel very privileged to have been able to uh, work in that industry and to have had the success that we have had um, and to work with some of the greatest directors, you know, in, in the world. And um, you could have asked me 16 years ago if I ever thought that would be possible, and I would have said no. So before the, uh, before the show's over today, will we know some things that TMZ doesn't? Will we be able to hear anything that's kind of... Uh... Hmm. Um, But it was a great segue because um, what I kind of want to do now is throw just some questions out and see what kind of comes up here. But excuse me. But, um, you know, in each of your specific markets, you know, what what were the advantages and challenges of being a woman delivering your product or service into that marketplace? You had mentioned it first, so maybe I'll throw your way. But, you know, please jump in. Help me understand that if it was a challenge at all, if it was ever even uh, a moment where you said, wow, this is better or worse because, you know, I'm in there mixing it up with the guys. I think that there were challenges, but there were also sometimes advantages. Two of the first large film contracts that we were awarded were awarded by women. Um, the Lord of the Rings was awarded by Eileen Moran at Weta Digital down in New Zealand, and then the Polar Express was awarded by Debbie DeNice from Sony Studios. So uh, I have to believe that their comfort level with dealing with a, a, with a startup company that was led by a woman, um, I probably got a few extra points there um, during that time. So then there were disadvantages as well, because when you go in to speak technology to a group of creatives um sometimes there is still a little bit of a good old boy network that you kind of have to overcome but um but the good news is uh with the team that we assembled we were over we were able to overcome any of those challenges Joe Shum from IRC Wealth is joining us in the studio on Midtown Business Radio we've been featuring three 
very successful female entrepreneurs from the Atlanta area. That was Candace Alger from the Giant Studios, Sarah Huey Coleman of Huey Design, and then, of course, Jody Hirsch of Orange Star Design is sitting in with us in the studio as well, my Periscope partner, back when I first <laughs> tried to test drive Periscope. <laughs> it was very fun. <laughs> you're, that, you're, that's how I found out about it, actually, was through you. Um, I, I'm, cur- I'm curious, how, how did you... How did you break into that kind of technology to to take that into your into your business? I have a, a background in working with technology. Um, I uh, I launched an international teleport for Crawford Communications prior to that, and so I work really well with really smart people. I surround myself mm. with really smart people, and. Uh, typically around technology and then try to figure out the business play and how to leverage that. And so while at Crawford we were building that international teleport, we were approached by the the company that had originally um, designed the software and the technology asking if we would then leverage it for entertainment. And so we started to to do that and then we were notified by MARTA that they were claiming imminent domain of the um, communications complex that that we had built. And so that was where we hit the fork in the road. And it was either go and try and build this new business outside of Crawford or stay at Crawford and help make that move. And um, they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And so we started Giant um, back in 99. And having that familiarity with the technology sector and engineering uh, was very helpful. I see. That's pretty cool. It is cool. You probably know Brennan Dicker then. I, I know him very well. He's a great guy. <laughs> Friend of mine. I haven't seen him in a while. But uh, talk about talk about you all. Did you find that that being a female-owned business was advantageous in some, some form or fashion? Or did you find it to be a hurdle in, in the fields that you were in? Um, I found there were a few times over the years where I had an opportunity because I was a woman-owned business. Um, clients like the CDC – Um, Sometimes they're mandated where they have to work with more minorities or more women-owned businesses. So I think, you know, I lucked into a few things that way. But overall, I haven't really experienced the advantages and disadvantages to any great length. Mm. I mean, often, if you're not chosen for a project, you never know why. Sure. I mean, it could be because I have blonde hair as much as because I'm a woman. And it's not real anyway, so (laughs) it might change. (laughs) Um, But you never really know you know, what's motivating somebody else. So I always found that, you know, if there's a good connection with somebody, then that's a good project to go in on. And I mean, I feel like I'm as choosy with the clients as they are about, you know, who they're going to work with as a designer. So I don't really know if I've been advantaged or disadvantaged by being a woman. I know entities like MARTA have places within their their structure built and, and set aside essentially for disadvantaged business enterprises. And I, if I'm not mistaken, Sarah, you've been a certified woman-owned business yes. enterprise. Yeah. And have in, have you interfaced with MARTA in through that through that channel? Um, yes, we did. We've done some work for MARTA, and we've also done some work uh, down at uh, Hartsville Jackson Airport. And those have been wonderful projects. We've, we'd like to take more advantage of, of being a woman-owned business, but it just seems like it's, it's pursuing those projects is more complicated in terms of you've got to have someone that's really searching the web for those types of bids. And 
then you're competing with tons of other companies. So we haven't put the effort into that type of, of marketing, mainly because we do have so much repeat business and a good client base. Now, who is your typical client when when they're coming to you for this type of service? Is it going to be like a large-scale developer of some sort that, uh, yes. or obviously government entities like the city of Atlanta, for right. example? But um, Primarily, we work for architects and developers. And um, when I entered the field in the late 80s, um, it was more of a man's world. There, over the years, um, certainly we've seen more men, women, but most of the women were in the marketing department. Um, and I think that it was it was a little strange to all of a sudden realize I was the only woman in a in a room, a big conference <laughs> room with, you know, twenty men, and um, I just tried not to let it bother me. Um, so I feel like it was an advantage because I, I think women are better able to put their ego aside and, and, and hire people that are so much smarter. I loved what you said about that. Um, hiring people that are smarter than you are because you can build a really great stable business that's not it doesn't have someone motivated by their ego at the top. Not that we don't, we all have egos. I mean, we're entrepreneurs. You kind of got to, <laughs> or else you wouldn't do that. Um, so, What's the process like? How often do, do your clients come to you with some measure of idea for what they want it to look like? Do you pretty much come with the art and then they ch- choose where, where they want to go? Or, or do they come to you with, we're thinking something along these lines and then your folks come through with that? What's that process Typically, like? our projects, we deal with a team of designers, architects, lighting consultants, landscape, um, and then environmental graphic design and interior. So there's a creative team that is developing kind of an overall overarching concept for the project. And so when we come on board, we listen to what that concept is that's been started and kind of germinated during the early phases of project planning. And we begin researching areas and things that relate to that concept so that we can incorporate those elements into our design. So it's sort of like a layering building process. And we don't necessarily, we always want to listen to what our client's vision is and try to incorporate and make their vision come to life. So it's rare that we just sort of go off on our own and come up with something out of the blue. Mm-hmm. On the website, you got a photograph of a real beautiful pipe organ. What's the story behind that? Oh, uh, that is the, um, it's the pipe organ at the Highlands Presbyterian Church, Highlands, North Carolina. And, um, that's my parents' church, and I was actually married there in front of the organ <laughs> that we designed. Um, and that was great. They wanted to do something that was historically correct for the church. It's very old. And um, we looked at the stained glass windows and the, the meaning behind colors and symbols that we saw in the church and in the Presbyterian religion. And 
built those colors and elements into the design that was applied to the organ. So it was, it's, that's the one kind of unique project that's very different, kind of sticks out. Um, but it's very, it's one close to my heart because there's a lot of connection to it. Uh, that's a cool story. I was struck by it when I saw it. I'm like, oh, I want to know what the deal is with that, how that came to be. Yeah. I love the Highlands, too. We go up there to, uh, what is it, Lake Glenville every once in a while. Sure. And stay on the lake it's up wonderful there. wonderful place. That is so innovative, too. Oh, I mean, thank who, you. you know, you don't hear stories like that very often. And to think you got to come back and do that in the church where you were married. That's a nice Well, nice actually, piece. we did it first, and yeah. then I got married. So <laughs> I go. was married well, in front versa. of it. Yeah, so. that's very cool. That's cool. It was. I'm curious, Jody, when you, with your work with um, social media, what do you think the biggest challenge for organizations who are trying to increase their social footprint, what do you think that the biggest challenge is? Because clearly you can put a lot, a lot of content out there and it, it's really consumed by few. Right. So the, the, the piece of getting someone to click it, to respond to it, that seems to be, I know for myself, that's the, that's the piece that I've been working on, on along the way once I dove into the whole social media world, trying to get somebody to actually consume it and interact right. with it. Well, I think the biggest pro biggest challenge is dealing with the frustration that you experience shouting into an empty room, yeah. which is what you're describing. It's like an empty room full of people, though. You know what I'm saying? They're all there. You've got lurking. all these followers. They're all yeah. texting. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Everybody's buried in it, but nobody seems to be clicking or responding. Right. Well, one thing to remember, too, is the majority of people online are consuming content. They're not um, clicking. They're not sharing. They're not creating. They're just reading it. So... I kind of jokingly refer to them as the lurkers. Mm -hmm. um, so they're there. Um, I think the key is to not give up and keep doing it. But the trick is to share stuff that's you know valuable and helpful to people, but also can evoke some kind of an emotional response. Because positive or negative, if it triggers an emotional response in a person, you're more likely to get some kind of an engagement with them. So obviously, you want to be positive. <laughs> With yeah, that. Yeah. But I mean, you'll find that, you know, look at the media, the stuff that gets the most attention is some of the most horrific things on a daily basis. And yeah. really, social media is, you know, a lay person's version of that same phenomenon. So the trick is to figure out what you can share that the people that you're trying to reach are going to have an emotional connection to. So you have to make it edgy in some form or fashion? Um, not necessarily. Like, you know, with a company like IRC Wealth, it's about money. I mean, people are very emotional emotion, about yeah. their money. Yeah. And, you know, who they're going to trust and what should they do and who should they listen to and, you know, how are they going to pay their bills, things like that. So, I mean, tapping into emotion but while still being professional is, a ch is the challenge there. But, um, you know, for a business radio show like this, it's what are the business, who's listening? I mean, is it the business owners? Is it entrepreneurs? You know, what are their challenges? And I think when you manage to put your finger on the sore spot and offer some positive support or information, I mean, I think that's where you start to get the connection. And also finding out who you, the influencers, influencers are in the community. And I think you do a good job of that and working with people like that to help them spread the awareness, builds the audience, but I don't always think it's about the numbers of people in that audience. I think it's about the engagement. Yeah. I'd rather have 100 people following me on Twitter that are actually interested in what exactly. I'm sharing 
than to have you know six hundred thousand that you know don't look don't look at it or don't care. Yeah, that's that's been the the challenge is not so much getting folks to follow. I mean, being a media outlet, for example, people are inclined to to follow it just to to uh, if they post something they can maybe get some amplification and things like that. But I've been surprised at how challenging challenging it's been to get people to truly engage with it to either comment on you know throw a question out to us because we right. would love we would love for people to you know throw questions to the guests that come on because we'll answer them after the fact for example but even with some incentives uh, go go to uh buckhead life restaurants on us if you you know quote ask questions or comment on the show you might get to go didn't get, didn't get a whole lot of more engagement than just trying to put something out there and maybe you know, one of the things I found was in interacting with individual followers seemed to asking them questions straight away on on onto right. their page seemed to be more effective than just throwing something out on the page well, and, and someone responds. That's the social piece. Yeah. So I mean, it is about connecting with individuals, and it's real easy to just you know keep pushing out content mm -hmm. and pushing it out and you have to because if you stop doing it then you're invisible so you have to keep putting it out there but um and, you know the challenge is again like you're saying getting people to respond but if you also think about it reaching them where they're at and when they're going to be there is also another piece of that puzzle so i've read um some studies where people post the same content on twitter like every four hours or every eight hours because if you're following few hundred people a few thousand people when you go and look at it's, your news feed and there's moments no way. later it's down yeah there's down. no way you're going to see it all so having a strategy to show up at different times a day for different people and also figuring out how to find them in other places by commenting on other people's blogs um, chiming in and replying to other people's threads things like that and a lot of businesses don't do that they're pushing out their content and waiting for people to respond. And I think it's just a time-consuming effort of constantly connecting. And it's just like networking face-to-face. -face. You just don't get to see their face faces. Face-to-face? Come on now. No one does that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a challenge. And, you know, the funny thing is, is so, so I help people with their social media, but statistically you're going to do better with blogging and email marketing than you're ever going to do with social media. So if the expectation is that there's going to be this windfall of attention because of the social media, you better have something go viral because the numbers are going to be really small compared to email marketing. I've thought about the whole piece on blogging, and I'm like, what am I doing? What am I going to write about? I've had a couple of times where I was inspired to write a uh, a piece, like on LinkedIn, for example. But I mean, they were kind of specific situations that I it's like, oh, I've got to I've got to talk about that. But on a regular basis, because that's one of the other things that I've read about the whole piece of blogging is that you really need it to be fairly steady it needs to be coming out on a fairly regimented schedule um, that's not too far apart not necessarily too close together but coming up with topics what, well, do, you, what do you talk about you know the other thing too is well if what, what we do over at irc is we get other people to write our blogs for us with smart people like these folks here, you know, because ultimately third-party social proof is that much stronger. You know, myself or David can say, oh, you know, this is a step you may want to take to hopefully realize a, uh, a broader, more wealthy lifestyle. But if Candace or Sarah writes an article about, or, or Jody writes an article about something about what they did, 
you know, about how they were able to overcome a particular challenge and this is what they did. And the result was, hey, I have this, you know, healthier, wealthier lifestyle. That's far more valuable. And I think that so third party, third party, um, you know, I guess social proof to me at least seems more, far more interesting than me standing there and telling you what to do. Joe Shum from IRC Wealth, Sarah Huey Coleman of Huey Design, Candace Alger from Giant Studios, and Jody Hurst of Orange Star Designer joining us in the studio. And when you're talking about recruiting someone that is a colleague or a client uh, or a thought leader to draft a, a blog post for you, I mean, how, do, how tell me about that. How do you go about that? It's uh, really interesting, and it it's sort of, uh, you know, I read this book um, that Stephen King had re- uh, wrote, which was how, you know, how he got all his ideas. And he does triangulation, right? He sees this thing, this thing, and this thing goes, wow, how can I make a scary story out of that? Well, I don't want it to be scary. But um, I will be always constantly looking for ideas and then cross that with the folks that are around us that help us be successful and we in turn help them be successful. And I say, like, who do I know that really would resonate with this thing, whatever it is? And that could be out for a run or a bike ride or driving in the car or something like that. And I say, this is really cool. So what should we do next? Well, then I approach them and say, what would you think about and uh, see what they say? And if they sort of jump right and go, well, I've been thinking about this and that, then I ask them just point blank. Would you consider writing something for us? And they may not be a writer. And then they say, I say, would you like to sit on a webinar with us and talk about, you know, from a panelist point of view, that that expertise? And all we're trying to do is reach, you know, is to share our, our general knowledge and expertise and some of our successes and challenges or failures and bring them out to everyone else's attention so they can grab something from that. So that's generally how I put it together. But was sort of uh, sort of stole that from Stephen King, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how everybody else does it. That's how I that's how I invite people in. Yeah. So the other thing I've I've learned is how getting people to link back to your social media content obviously is huge, particularly if it's living on your website. It'll drive people to you, and it'll certainly make you pop up a little higher when it re- relates to someone searching for somebody in your space. You'll be considered more relevant by Google, for example. Mm-hmm. There's also some technology tools out there that can help recycle um, content that you already have so that it's less work for you. So evergreen content, such as you know, a, a blog post that's maybe one of your best posts or that explains what you do and how you do it and who you do it for better than probably any other page on your site. Um, you can put that into a tool, like there's a service called Edgar, and there's one for WordPress sites called Revive Old Post. Um, you can use tools like that, and it'll just, whatever settings you put in there for whatever schedule you want, it'll just keep pushing that stuff out on a regular schedule. To, like, Facebook or Twitter? Yeah, is that yeah. where it's going? Yeah, to your social media channels. I see. You know, the thing is, though, really it's all, I mean, social media is sort of an oxymoron because sometimes it's not so social, right? But um, the challenge is telling your story. And, and I'm just curious in general how everyone's told theirs because we have to tell it all the time to get people to notice us. And I, I even know that Sarah had mentioned, you know, I don't do a lot of marketing, but you're, you're telling your story in some fashion because you want mm-hmm. people to notice you or at least notice what it is that you bring to the party and then whether or not that there's a match, right? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious what, how everyone tells their story when, when you have distinctly unique ways of be, being as successful as you've been. Anybody want to jump in on that? 
I think that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, we've generally we've hired writers in the past, and um, we are in the process of of changing our website design and content over. And it has been a real challenge to try to uh, write copy that reflects the energy and and the attitude of the company as a whole. So um, I think we're still going through that process. We haven't found the answer yet, but my my thought is it's a matter of getting the right writer that can ask the right questions and listen completely to um, to what what it is that makes you unique kind of get that out of you so that um, they can wordsmith it into something that that reflects your your company and your brand and your inner voice sort of yes yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah. i think it's a lot easier to help other people um, extract their story to share than it is to do your own um, i work with clients and help them figure out what the story is that they're trying to tell i generally am not the writer i partner with writers um, but there's it's it's a challenge. I mean, there's a tool called the Difference Map from it's there's a book by Bernadette Jiwa, I think is how you say her name, called The Difference, and it's a simple exercise called the Difference Map, and it just asks um, maybe five or six questions about what you do, who you do it for, why do you do it, what problems do you solve, and if you just do the exercise with your team, with you know put the inner critic the inner critic in the drawer and just do it um by the end of it you actually have a really nice value proposition statement and a sense of who you are why you are why are we doing this and uh, it's just really helpful but doing it for myself is really difficult (laughs) (laughs) cobbler's kids have no shoes right (laughs) that's right it probably took me five years to come up with smart creative design to grow your brand and your business (laughs) and then you have to you throw it out and then you have to answer back exactly it's like you don't have that uh, other people that are have a different point of view about your company and that are working in it so you kind of it's hard to do by yourself yeah i do work in a vacuum but i keep advisors and mentors Mm -hmm. you know right on the other end of the phone and on the other end of skype otherwise i mean it would be all me and that would be pretty scary and for orange star jody who is your typical client? What do they typically look like? I mean, obviously you're working with uh, the folks at IRC Wealth, but um, is there kind of a sweet spot that you tend to focus your work? Or There is. It's small businesses that are focused on growth and know that they want to make some changes and really they're already established, but they really want to take it to another level. And they've generally already concluded that design matters and that it's there's a value to it. And they're looking for somebody that can really help them step up. So things that I get involved in are usually branding refreshes, or if they're launching a new line of business or a new product, I'll do the branding for that. And I get involved in their website design and all of their sales collateral materials and design. And From a graphic perspective. Yeah, and production. I'll take care of getting it printed and I'll manage the web development process. And... Most of my clients are long-term clients. I mean, 22 years in the business, some of my clients have been with me the whole time. Now, are you also essentially a ghostwriter as well, where you'll produce content for them for their social media feeds? Yes. 
Um, I also bring in writers that are better fits for certain types of content. I can't possibly write for every industry. And it's also not my greatest strength. So I try to outsource my weaknesses. I'm a strong designer. I'm an okay writer. And I don't really like it. <laughs> but mm -hmm. there's people out there that I can bring in. And it's just remarkable what one person can produce when you surround yourself with the right team. So while I don't have employees um, like, like these guys do, I definitely have a team. And like Sarah, I work with senior level people that have as much experience as I do. Um, but yeah, we do a lot of ghost writing. <laughs> <laughs> I've got somebody I can link you up with. I interviewed a really cool one uh, not long ago. Found him on LinkedIn, Bruce Kazanoff. He wrote, How to Self-Promote Without Being a Jerk. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I highly recommend that you read it. It'll take you about 40 minutes maybe to read the book. Um, and, and I can get you a link to it from uh, his LinkedIn post. It'll let you download it for free. But uh, he's a ghostwriter for social media uh, for the business community. So he was a really cool guy. Um, Candace, I'm kind of curious. We can talk about it or not. But um, obviously there was a minor change for Giant Studios here a few months ago. Uh, what does that mean for you? I'm, I'm assuming we're referring to uh, the acquisition. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> a little blip on the radar. Yeah. Um, last year, we were fortunate enough um, to have been approached by James Cameron's company, Lightstorm Entertainment, to acquire our technology and our rights for entertainment. And it was a kind of a bittersweet thing, you know, surviving for 16 years and really thriving. But then um, this offer came and... It, the, everything just the timing fell into place the shareholders embraced it and so um, we closed on that deal last summer and now the technology is in good hands and uh, it will be leveraged for avatar 2 3 and 4 and the software developers are, are already working with them and then the rest of the engineers and artists that help build the business are moving forward and they're all employed in the virtual production world because now it's it's um, it's a lot oh, it's broader huge, yeah. it's huge and um, so everyone's doing real well and this is a new chapter for me I'm actually in uh, conversations with Georgia State about coming on as a professor of practice for the new creative media industries Institute it's a new institute that the Woodruff Foundation is funding and it's um, a separate facility on the campus that's really a big toy box. It's got, we're going to have um, labs for maker studios and virtual production and gaming and, uh, and design and music. And the students will be able to come into this institute and access the digital technologies and, and the tools that they can use to tell their stories in different ways. And the the objective is is ideally to train them in the new emerging digital technologies so that they can actually find jobs when they graduate. So it's you know it's challenging, but it's it's exciting and it's it's a great opportunity to give back. And then on the side, I'm working with a former associate um, to launch a uh, a new production and technology company that's going to be focusing on AR and VR applications, and um, he's. The gentleman, Rudy Pote, that, um, that I'm working with is just a brilliant creative, and he's rounded up all of these PhDs and, and engineers and technologists that uh, want to collaborate and develop content that 
they can be excited about. And so I'll be calling you. Um, <laughs> so now when you say AR and VR, that's augmented reality and virtual reality? Is that right. right. So what, it starts that we we have a, our first. That's very cool. Yeah, that was we, nice. I'm sitting there going, AR. Let's just shoot acronyms yeah. at them now. Wow. We have our um, our first property is already in development and um, and. It's the company is 300 fish, and so it's a it starts out as as seven story books for children. But then what we're looking to do is take the books and put them on a tablet. We you print the books, and then in the books there are markers on the pages, and then you hold the tablet over the book, and then it brings the the story to life for children. So it's to try and and motivate children to read more. And, but it's also a beautiful story. So that's so, kind of exciting. So that would be cool. an augmented reality thing. So it's using the camera <coughs> it's, and it's doing some graphics over real actually, images? Mm-mm. No, you're using the ta- you're leveraging the tablet, but there's software written so that it's it's um they're gonna be using some of the Google open source, I believe. But the the um, marker on the page then triggers the animation to play on the tablet. Okay. So it's it's 3D animation coming to life. So that's exciting. It's yeah, it's it's crazy what's happening. And, and when you're talking about marketing and websites and and how to get your name out there, it's all happening so rapidly now yeah. just to try and keep up. It, it's just crazy. So what what is in store for Atlanta with regards to the movie scene and and just you know, just uh, media production because I mean these giant studios are now coming up and obviously the state is doing its best to make it an environment that's conducive from a tax perspective. So it is remarkable what has happened here. I mean I've been I've been commuting to to Hollywood for the past sixteen years, and to see what what Georgia has been able to do with the tax incentives. We did five billion dollars worth of film work in the state last year. Um, the game incentives are now, we've got over 80 game companies sprouting up. All the major film studios are here now, Pinewood, Raleigh, um, Screen Gems, uh, and, and new additional studios are, are cropping up. So the governor really wants to see us get a trained workforce out there because at the higher level positions in production for games and for film, we don't have that trained workforce here. Now, granted, a lot of people are moving here from California and from other locations where they're not doing the film work anymore. So we are getting people to move into the state to, to do those jobs or they bring them with them. But the end game really is to try and train up that workforce and the government and the, and the governor's really um, committed to that. And so it's a really exciting time to be in Georgia for for everyone, but particularly for the students, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because That's a nice strategic move for Georgia State with regards to this program because there's going to be internship work available for them mm-hmm. right around the corner. And incubation opportunities and the all of the all of the colleges and universities are, are really teaming up and playing very well together to try and, and promote that. It's it's really it's pretty cool. We're seeing a movie about a movie a month in my neighborhood. Oh yeah, there you can't yeah. Turner Corner without seeing movie trucks or signs for a set or something yeah. like that. Crew. Yeah. Or zombies. Yeah, yeah. zombies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Zombies roaming the city. That's probably why they vacuum your neighborhood. Yes. Jody's always impressed with that. <laughs> <laughs> they want it to be nice and clean for the movie set, <laughs> for movie people. <laughs> your roads are always hosed down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that Hugh Jackman worked out at my gym for about a couple of months, and there was a line always to, to be in the treadmill behind his. <laughs> 
so um, yeah, it was uh, quite a competitive gym scene over there in the mornings. Uh, that it was amped I, up. I worked with him on a film called Real Steel, and he played a boxer in that, a, a, a worn out boxer. But he he's amazing. Yeah, human being. Yeah, and talk about bionic, right? Yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't want to be on the treadmill behind him. It'd be people <laughs> go, what? Yeah, that that guy's not. Uh, he may not be human. I mean, he's and a really great guy. And he, um, you know, our gym, I guess, is known for this kind of thing because everyone sort of does their own thing and 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 and, and stays in their own corner. And so th- we we're starting to see actors and actresses show up there because they can kind of be left alone. And uh, he was very pleasant. And at the end of the uh, at the end of his three months or whatever, he was there. I think he was shooting the f- the film Prisoners, which was shot out in Conyers or Covington or whatever. Anyway, he signed autographs and he was very accessible and a good guy. But anyway, so you start seeing those things around places like Decatur. And you're like, wait a minute, something's happening here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very very cool. And so. Do you think you'll focus for the next little while on uh, from a, an instructor's perspective, or do you, th- you see yourself doing um, the you know business that, side again as well? Well, wh- what they've asked me to focus my energies on um, is to help form strategic relationships with technology companies uh, to try and help set up some of the incubation um, opportunities, more of a almost a business development role and then and and helping to to design it we're it's a four-story building that we're renovating right now so we're trying to get the designs locked and get the technology that's changing so rapidly at least get placeholders in there so that we can get the right tools in there and then just try to form relationships that will benefit the students to get the technology companies to partner for um for for acquiring um diverse talent which is a big problem in the tech sector, and I think that we have a big advantage there. And uh, to just get that energy pumping and flowing and get people excited about it and get the students, most importantly, excited about the opportunities that are out there in digital technology. And it's not just entertainment because it crosses all boundaries now, right? So it's in farming, it's in medical, it's in everything. So... Not to wax too personal, but uh, clearly when you go to sell a, a business that you've owned, um, I mean, do you have advice for a, a business? Uh, you know, Sarah's got a, a business that she owns, and one of the things that has come across the as a topic in the show a few times here recently is transition planning. Am I going to sell it to James Cameron? Am I going to um, pass this business on to siblings or uh, my, my children? Um, I mean, what was that process like for you? When did you know that was the goal, um, for selling versus transitioning to family or whatever the case may be the first the first step was really bringing a um some financial advisement in um a kind of a cfo um for hire and over the uh, you know over the years we work together you, you you start planning in a different way and you start in and you have somebody that's got a perspective that um is not going to be um, conflicted by by the company, right, or by the business. So they're giving you really s- sound advice about um, things that you can do and the direction you might want to go. And then it just really evolved, and it and it made perfect sense in the timing of everything. And I'm not getting any younger. Did um, you see it coming? Did you know that that was coming? Was it, you know, how how we how were big of a working shock toward we were working towards that. I, I did not expect 
Lightstorm to step up. I mean, we had worked on Avatar 1 with them and, and have a great relationship and, and were co-located with them for years, but I, I never thought that they wanted to be a technology company, but it it all came together and it was it's a wonderful thing. So prior to bringing in that outsourced CFO resource, were you managing that element yourself or one of your teammates perhaps? No, no I had a VP of finance, but but our main focus was the daily operations, right? You get so covered up in just keeping the machine going that you're not really looking up like you should be or looking out. And so to bring in that advisor from the outside to help you just kind of look up and, and see really where you should maybe, you know, change the path a little bit or strategize on what your options are, it was it was incredibly beneficial to us. Do you have some words of advice for uh, an entrepreneur who owns a business right now that, that is trying to in that place? I don't know where to go with it. I think that the I give this advice a lot to students that, that ask me what they should study. And I said, when you go to school, if you don't take some type of course in finance, if you if you have any entrepreneurial desires at all, you know, you're a fool. But having gone through this a few times, I would say that um, having somebody that you trust come in to advise you on the financial aspect of it, unless you're a financial genius yourself, which I am not, um, it, you, it's the smartest thing you can do. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. We just, um, <clears throat> we just ran a, um, a uh, panel webinar on, you know, your business plan is not your financial plan. And we had uh, several panelists there and talking a lot of these themes that you just brought up, Charles. You know, it's just, you know, what am I, you know, and, and it's almost its own business plan in the idea of what your exit strategy is for your company. Because there is the daily operational and then there's this other picture there that you're trying to meet. And how am I going to shape the business, not only for whatever that transition is, but also what it means for me personally, right? So what is it going to do for me if this business exits my life? Do I have a certain amount of commitment to it afterwards? Do I want that commitment? Do I have children in the business? Some may be in the business, some may not, but they're still my children. What's the equitable division of that business? And then what do I do next? Do I rebuild myself? I mean, you, you're obviously having several reinventions going on, which is kind of cool. But, you know, what, what, what are my next plans? And, and, you know, how easy is it to start them? So there's an emotional, a financial and an operational consideration when you're at that point. How about you, Sarah? As we wind down the final minutes of the show, do you have some parting thoughts or maybe some advice for the folks that are listening today? A couple of the of the questions we got before the show. One was, what were you most excited about that had happened in your business? And we completed Avalon, the big project up in Alpharetta. And associated with that, we were able to help in commissioning and a big sculpture that's, that's at the project. So we're really proud of that project as a whole. For any entrepreneur, as a business owner starting out, I struggled with accounting. I'm creative. Money is not, that's not my strong suit. My parents will attest to that. I did not start really seeing results and getting that big picture and understanding the whole financial plan until I brought in an, an outsourced CFO and a, and a bookkeeper. And I followed their advice. We, we were in a lot of debt when after the 
economic unpleasantness we experienced <laughs> here and yeah, a few um, years ago, I'm sure. Huey Design would not be if if I hadn't had that kind of consultant on board because accountants don't do that they just crunch numbers that's all they do you know your stockbroker is not going to help you with financial planning they kind of say they do but it's so disconnected and and i tried all those avenues so to just that advice of spending the money to get that really expert advice helped me so much watching the balance sheet go from you know red to okay we're in the black and now we now it's green. Hey, that's really that's really <laughs> I fantastic. Can I can Yay. I can I, <laughs> I actually get a little at the end of the year and yeah. put a little away, which is amazing. So that is that's the best advice. Tell folks where they can get information about Hewitt Design. Um, you can go online. Our our new web, our old website is up. That's www.huiedesign.com, or you can, numbers and things like that are on the web, so you can give us a call or shoot us an email. How about you, Jim? Love to hear from you. You can find out more about me at www.orangestar.com. And I know you're on uh, the social media as well. I am. I'm, nobody spells my name right, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm you, tied in with you. So if yeah. you follow the Midtown Business Radio Show at Midtown BRX, you can find Jody Hurst there. Yeah, exactly. And any contact information we need to share for you, Candace? Well, for another month or two, you could still find me at giantstudios.com. <laughs> How about IRC Wealth, Joe? IRCWealth.com. Uh, there's all kinds of ways to follow us. We're on all the uh, major channels because Jody makes us. <laughs> um, but come out and visit us. We've got all kinds of really cool content, and a lot of the stuff we discussed here today is represented out there in a variety of videos and, and blogs and so on. So come out and see us. Well, we really appreciate all of the experts that joined us in the studio today. It's been a treat getting to meet every one of you and Joe and Dave over at IRC Wealth. We'll be thinking about Dave with his loss in the family this, this week. We'll be keeping him in our thoughts and look forward to seeing him soon. If you've not done so already, make sure you go to Twitter and Facebook and link up with the Midtown Business Radio Show at Midtown BRX on both Facebook and Twitter. And also, if you're a company that's listening, you do business with other companies, you're a B2B, then go to the top left-hand corner of the Midtown Business Radio Show to the Apple icon, and that'll take you to the iTunes Midtown Business Radio Show podcast and subscribe to us so that you can meet these cool people and learn about them every week. Maybe call somebody up and say, hey, I heard you on the show. You said thus and such, and as a matter of fact, we can help you with that. What a great call that would be. So for everybody that made time to join us in the studio, I want to say thank you very much. And to all the folks out there who've made us a part of their afternoon again today, we really appreciate you as well. Make sure you turn around and share it. You might just put some great information in the hands of somebody you care about that really helps them out. So we'll We'll see you guys in about four weeks yeah. or so. And thank you again. We're going to be doing great. a series with here. the IRC Wealth folks, so we look forward to having them back and meeting more of their peers and colleagues. For everybody else, we'll see you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. 